0: Chapter 13 of the Last Ditch by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 13 from the Lady Arles Lochroyan. For my sins, dear, here I am back at quiet old Lochroyan. Like a house of the dead it is, and your father, the invalid I have come to nurse, by far the liveliest and cheeriest person in it the nurse is a trial they all are and old maggie very depressing and portentous she will have it that the ghost of anatole visits her every night and she is sure he is a dead corp by now it is no use my telling her what i know now that he is only in prison maggie sees him in her dreams frowning at her for she was the one to set the sodgers on to him by telling them that he was away over the roof of the laundry house for all other company i have mrs lysons of Aldevalach, who comes over here in deep mourning for her son george here alone without venice or Effel or audely i have a very poor time i console myself only with thinking that arles needs me though of course he's going on perfectly well in the health line he has a magnificent constitution i sit beside his couch and think over old days and what a fine man he used to be and what a magnificent chest for orders i shall never forget my pride as we two walked up the long vestibule leading to the top of the staircase in arlington street to where lady salisbury stood to receive us it was a long and trying exhibition that few yards of red bays to those ill-equipped with looks or presents and arles and i or so i flatter myself came out of it well and it was i who laid my partner low i pray to be forgiven and realize that though i have been let off easy by fate Arles is now and must remain my first consideration if it wasn't for this conviction do you know dear i hardly think i should have been able to tear myself away from town i have to support my resolve by remembering my crime against Arles in the country i harbored a spy and gave my husband a stroke i keep rubbing this into myself whenever the urge to get back to the centre of events is too forcible it is only now and then that it comes with overwhelming strength that i can hardly resist before i left here i had instituted a neat little arrangement for casual praying in my bedroom in a corner with curtains arranged and hangings so as to give the idea of a private chapel i now take my worries there you'll say if papa is well there are no worries or ought not to be but there is the leaving of my darling venice to her own devices and the not seeing audely off and attending myself to all his little comforts venice is supposed to be doing it but venice has no idea of what a man wants the little attentions and pettings that i could have given so as to make audely think that the people he leaves behind are caring for him and i have to trust to that careless child for all accounts of him and how it has gone and she's not interested in him and although she saw him off with ida they only did it to please me and because he timed his departure so ida says at one in the morning which amused venice and lent interest for her to a rather commonplace proceeding the whole thing was rather culpably rushed on me and perhaps as a very old friend of Audley's, i ought to have resented his abrupt way of telling me a little more for really Audley carries casualness to a fault only the night before i left for scotland he told me as if he had said he was going to a race meeting or a shoot by the way Beatty, i've got my commission to go and fight the bloody huns not one word more and one a word that he ought hardly to have used to me but one couldn't be angry very long with Audley. besides to borrow a word from his dictionary he is so bloody brave to go in at all it is venice who has given him beans she writes to him and says she is astonished at him of all people suddenly developing the murder lust and talking about bloody huns and mad dogs and so on she says once you begin to insult a country you can't do anything with it in the way of parliamenting but can one do anything with a mad dog except pitchfork it and when i tax her with the rumours of massacres of belgian civilians which is beginning to get through to us she denies the reports or says they are greatly exaggerated there is that shocking story of the people being driven along in front of the advancing armies of germans as a kind of living screen to prevent the soldiers on their own side from firing at them and the children without hands venice utterly scouts the idea of such inconceivable cruelty as that well i can conceive it of those people i remember a horrid german tale i heard often when a child the people who read it to me thought nothing of it nor did i i didn't understand it i used to call it the hansless maiden a girl has her hands cut off by her cruel relations and is sent out into the forest to get what food she can by grubbing up roots of course the tragedy of it is that she has no hands to grub with they grew again in the story of course but that simple peasants could imagine such a thing and tell their children about it over the fireside suggests that it is one of their recognised methods of punishing enemies well even if things are exaggerated and perhaps they are there are one or two absolutely authenticated incidents of the raid into belgium it seems to me that the blood of even one baby spitted on a bayonet cries aloud to heaven and practically indicts a whole nation of those that do it and the revolting indecencies the desecrations for god's sake say i let us get the whole disgusting monkey-house bundled off the face of the good clean earth as soon as possible i may be a fool war is war of course all i venture to think is that a people whose folk-tales are brutal are coarser than others they are like butchers to whom killing is part of the day's work and no particular treat even if we look on them as drunken soldiers who know not what they do or say that people are not accountable for what they do in hot blood these crimes are done in cold they state that the excesses are done by command orders from on high given by people one has known severities preached by professors who have enjoyed one's hospitality there was that splendid creature willemovitz something or other dorf who admired venice and paid her attention in his spoilt indifferent way he came to roast goose at park crescent once he and professor Anken that year they were over here to the literary congress and now these willem guests are preaching the massacre of us all and in rome once ilsa reminds me bernhardi came to lunch and how i took a strong dislike to him vilumovitz certainly was fascinating but that doesn't excuse his egging on his pupils to bloodshed the idea of my little girl palliating it at least that is what her letters which i read sitting by father's sickbed sound like she says educated women are bound to take the philosophical view then i'm sorry i educated her that's all it's mrs leahy i am convinced ida herself is a dear but that mother of hers is mad and ought to be shut up that kind of talk breeds conscientious objectors these irresponsible higher thought people don't know the harm they do with impressionable young people if only audely wasn't away or ilsa back from paris or Arles well enough to be moved it is terrible to a woman of my stamp to live inactive here away from happenings everything seems according to the papers to change each hour even the laws of physical geography desert us one has come to feel as if the moon might even cease to control the tides. We may all come to suffer famine, rapine, and sudden death in spite of the valiancy of our young men who are devoting themselves wholesale to saving England, covering their vassals whom they have sworn to protect. Venice's medieval talky talky, half play, half earnest, comes back to me now. She used to hope that those times would come back that the king of england would ride out in full armour at the head of his knights as at crecy and poitiers on foreign soil and through foreign cities well it will have to be german soil and german cities this time how funny it cannot help being all the new peers for we must not forget that we have admitted a lot of grocers and contractors to share our ancient privileges saddled booted and spurred riding out to war on their heavy battle-chargers with slogans and fierce cries of onwards i fancy in some cases the king might deplore the birthday honours list it strikes me he has slightly lost sight of the feudal idea as venice explains it to me still so long as our order breeds men like Audley and women like venice to bind their favours on their helms for them we shall get along all right the aristocracy will make good and save old england yet it is a great and proud thought how i wish we had an estate still worth speaking of and that romanille was alive to do his part i should prefer to see one's own men off one's own land riding out voluntarily under their feudal lord's leadership so much more picturesque than conscription which would do away with all our standing we hold it on that tenure originally so venice says but if so we are sadly undermanned and there is a dearth of leaders in our family of all the male relations there is only cousin henry that i can think of who could muster forty men born and bred on his estate that consider themselves bound to follow him to the wars he would go fast enough himself although he is over age and has married an american parvenu by the way Audley's valet who left him so suddenly was it turns out a german and got away to join the army over there he was supposed to be a swiss what well, with anatole and the baumberger woman we haven't done badly as a family in the way of spies and it behooves us to be specially careful i hear everywhere of spies being taken out of this and that house all round about i suppose the tale of our anatole has got transferred and now comes back to us as an independent incident some of my servants although they are not enemy aliens have to walk seven miles every other day to report themselves at Kirkmichael, and they fill the rest of the day with grumbling Yet yeah, we can't drive them in. There isn't an ounce of petrol left to us, or indeed in the country round. Every one of them is difficult to do with, except Leo Cadie, the French under housemaid, who follows me about with loving eyes. She has adored Les Anglais ever since we came in. She really thought there was a doubt of it, and I dare say all of her nation did, which doesn't sound very creditable for us she confided to me that she had dreaded in the beginning whether sir grey would permit us to do so but now puis Milady a bien voulu nous aider ça sera bien tout fini i confess it is a pleasure nowadays to be au mieux with anyone even if it be only a servant one feels so lonely and abandoned even though one is doing one's best for everybody as far as one sees it it is i gather over a week since audely left london to join the fifth norimshires fancy my having to gather anything about Audley! he never was a good correspondent but this might surely be considered rather a special occasion for writing he is going to treat it like any of his other absences i suppose not worth dilating on when he is actually out it will be much more annoying but he isn't there yet and while he is still only a probationer there is hope and i shan't let myself worry too much i do though pooh i dare say no one is in better case than i am not even the lady in madrid Audley is so neglectful of these sort of feelings in his friends i dare say poor thing she is crying her eyes out over there because she can't get to him Though now i think of it spain being neutral she could perhaps he has forbidden her to try there seems to be a husband who might object so one gathered from the letter Audley wrote to venice that's all very well for her but i should have been by his side in two twos husband or no husband if Audley had been my lover as for venice to whom he wrote that most beautiful love letter venice must be as cold as a frog and as dry as a mummy she writes about his departure as calmly as if he were a schoolboy going back to school why even if he is killed she has the written assurance of his love at any rate and will have it to read over and look at for as long as she lives i've only got a carbon copy i sent you the best and of course the original was put back carefully in the blotter by ethel after her work was done of course speaking in venice's defence one cannot deny that audely is of a rather fickle disposition and venice would demand a man's whole heart or nothing i dare say she wrote and told him so poor dear brave boy i know what drove him into the army as well as if he had told me it was the sight rubbed into him during that month at lochroyan of all the most precious examples of the race scions of all the best blood in england rushing to their doom as you may say and he perfectly strong and healthy sheltering behind those odd years of his over forty which let him out if he had cared to think so i think when bertie Corfe joined up sacrificing his brilliant career at oxford and lord Cartmel's only son neither of them a year over eighteen Audley's great heart cracked and then there was that freak bell bell smith who might have lived in luxury for all the rest of his days at susan dowlius's expense leaving off all his cosmetics and champagne baths and putting himself at the service of the nation that had after all let his father practically die of starvation an unsuccessful paving-stone artist it was a sad story that i will tell you one day susan Dalius literally picked him off the streets where he was trying to help his mother by running errands for a potato salesman recognizing the magnificent potentialities of his physique she sent him to school i realized that all those weeks when war was on the tapis merely and oddly was enduring life with us in this roaring milieu of youthful enthusiasm the reason why he was so taciturn was that he was maturing the wild idea of immolating himself on the altar of sacrifice i alone i believe am able to conceive the emotions of baffled manhood of suppressed patriotism that surged in his breast as he golfed and badmintoned and bridged as if that was all he as an old crock was good for the truth is i have such a dreadful lot of time to think here used to long for it in the days of my busy mater career it is like living in not a tomb for Arles is better but at least a backwater i have continually to remember that it is my own fault that i am here if i hadn't retained Anatole, Arles wouldn't have had a stroke and i could have been in town with the girls i must accept my penance still one can't help one's thoughts Audley's insouciance and neglect and those two young women caring to stop enjoying themselves in london and leaving me here to mind the house that i took and the invalid i made solely on their account i don't expect ilsa to put herself out to keep her old mother company she always did go her own way but from venice i did expect a little natural affection i have just had a telegram from ilsa to say that she is back from france and is coming on here after a couple of nights in town so cancel my grousings which really were unjustifiable and in my next letter i will give you ilsa's news it is funny that it is ilsa who is coming here to cheer her mother in her loneliness and not venice i suppose her affairs have gone wrong and she hasn't been able to get any clothes and wants a bosom to lie upon a mother's is the best for that not apoplectic old gentlemen or beardless boys end of chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine